If you are listening to the Candid Conversations podcast, it means you are ready to have a major breakthrough in your business. That is why we invite industry experts onto this show so you can fill your mind with valuable information. We exist because we believe business owners are the real investors of the economy. Here's your host, Charles Schwinn from Flying Kite. Today on the show, we have Nadine Todd. Nadine is the previous editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Media South Africa, and she has interviewed over 400 entrepreneurs over the past decade. Nadine's expertise lies in creating insightful and unique business content. Welcome so much to the show, Nadine. Thanks for having me, Charles. So you are the one that's normally interviewing people, but today the interviewer has become the interviewee. I know, I'm in the hot seat. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. (laughs) But I'm sure you will be doing just fine. So listeners, um, some of you may may or may not know Nadine and I used to work together and I've always admired her skills in terms of getting the story out. And Nadine had a nickname around the office. Nadine, do you know what your nickname was at the office? Are we talking German engineering? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so you do know. They, they said Nadine, she's a machine. I don't know how she. I don't know how she get things done, but they just call you the machine. That's it. It is German engineering. I'm telling you. Well, there we go. There we go. So Nadine, <laughs> out of the out of the 400 people that you have interviewed over the past number of years, do you remember the, your first interview or the first article you had to write? I do, and it's actually because it's a really funny story. So, um, so I I finished. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background also to how I ended up where I was. So I yeah. I studied history, and I ended up with my masters in history. And um, when that was done, I realised I was a bit unemployable because no one understands what a history degree is or really cares about it. And I really, really struggled to find a writing job, even though that's all I had been doing for like five and a half years at varsity. Um, and eventually I found a funny little copywriting position at a, like a audio editing company. So, you know, when you phone and you get put on hold and you hear a message, <laughs> yes. they did that. Oh, wow. And also all the Vodacom IVRs. So like when you get a message and it says, press um, one, press, blah, 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 press one. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a year, which actually involved more audio editing than writing. Okay. And I was completely devastated with everything. And I actually started doing a teaching degree while I was doing that because I just thought I'm never going to get to write and no mm. one will give me an interview and I don't know what to do with myself. How, how long ago was this? Eh? I mean, more than a 10 years uh, ago? F- 15 years ago. 15 15, years 16 ago. years ago, yeah. So okay. then, um, and I, I, I stuck it out for a year. The whole time, starting, starting my postgrad education degree and also still looking for a writing job. And then I found an ad for a company um, called Charmant Media that had a magazine called Focus on Transport and Logistics, which was a trucking magazine. Mm-hmm. But they were specifically looking for male journalists. Okay. And I wrote this whole long article, well, uh, this whole letter to them saying, look, I know I'm a girl, but really, 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 you need to give me a chance because mm-hmm. I know a lot of our cars and a lot of our bikes. And, you know, I grew up having to service my own Beetle and just please give me a chance. Anyway, mm-hmm. she interviewed me and then she hired me. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. And I finally had my writing job. Um, yeah. I was there for three years. So I actually, by the time I left, I was assistant editor. Yeah. But my very first interview was yeah. the owner's husband. And his name was Bix Carolyn. Okay. And the second I heard his name, I was like, wow, I know this guy. Because he was actually mates with my dad in the writing Oh, really? Years. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So my very first interview was um, someone who hadn't seen me since I was probably eight years old. And it actually made the whole thing quite relaxed and fun because I really wasn't sure how I was going to approach the whole thing. And it's quite cool because I'll always remember that now. Wow, that, that is very, I have very cool. no idea what I asked him. I know it was about his company, yeah. <laughs> lubrication equipment. Yeah. But I think that, that's, about, that's about it, yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, and then when you were working on Tropinia Media, obviously your, your main job is to make sure there's producing good high quality content. The company positioned themselves as to how to hand, how to handbook to build companies. So when you had to construct those questions, what, what was your thought process and has it changed over the years? It's definitely evolved, but I think one of the biggest things that I had to learn, and I think this is such a valuable, valuable tool for anyone and, and it's not followed properly, is because we were the how-to guide, Yes, we had to really find actionable insights. So if you can think of a reader as anyone listening to this podcast as well, anyone who's trying to gather information... Hmm. Yes, there's an entertainment factor, but most of the time you're trying to get some sort of information that betters you in some way, that you can yeah. follow, that you can implement, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think too much writing and too much of the content we produce doesn't keep that top of mind. So when you say too much of the content that we produce, you're talking about at Entrepreneur or you talk about in general? The world, in general. The world. Why do you think people so, do that? I think because they don't think about it and it's hard. It's not that easy. So what I found early on is because I had this mandate of the how to guide, I always had to have the, okay, what are the steps? What are the lessons? And I found that it it wouldn't naturally happen in an interview. So someone would tell me something that would happen or had happened or that they had done. And I would always respond with, okay, but how did you do that? Talk me uh-huh. through the steps you took. Mm-hmm. And by asking those questions, I got those really interesting, gritty nuggets that other people could take and implement themselves. So and that I was the key. It's that follow-on question that never happens. You know, like, tell me like, more. Oh, how well, do you do it? Tell me more. Exactly. Kind of exactly. So it was like we had a great marketing campaign. Okay, cool. And you move on. No, well, what did it look like? Okay, mm-hmm. hang on. But surely that was difficult to do x how did you circumvent uh-huh. that uh-huh. and 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 those are the kinds of things because we had this how to mandate i think we really got very good at digging into the details okay and then you so you mentioned this part which is which is great now how after how many I mean, did you realize that right in the get-go or would you say after the first year? or? I realized that- it from the get-go because it was literally our kind of slogan, mm-hmm. but I had to learn to get good at it. Uh-huh. So um, I work with a, a lot of young writers now, and one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm sure I did this myself, was they're too scared to ask follow-on questions. And they're also too scared to look like they don't understand something. Whereas I am never scared to look like I don't understand something. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll literally just go like, I don't get that or explain that to me better. Or I'm sorry, maybe I'm being doff, but I don't really understand <laughs> what you just said there. And I find that it's, it's, it's quite disarming. Um, everyone actually loves talking about their businesses and what they do. So they're very happy to give you more information, mm-hmm. but you have to be willing to kind of expose yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you really think it's something you should know, then I've learned to rephrase it in a different way and say, look, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I would like to hear it in your words mm -hmm. so that I can use your words. Mm -hmm. And that also works quite well. But on the whole, I think, you know, as the writer, you don't have to walk into the room knowing everything. Mm. Um, your job is to kind of extract what's in someone else's brain and get that onto the page. Extract somebody else's brain. Okay. Yes. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this obviously has gotten better over the years and you've, you've, you, you, you've like chatted to a lot of people and, uh, have you noticed there are certain, uh, so for example, people that, that do well in a startup versus people that do well in a medium sized versus somebody that runs a company that's over hundred million, hundred million rand, for example, have you noticed like, um, so let's say startup phase, certain personality will do well, but they won't do well when the business starts getting bigger than them. Have you noticed that? Or is it like, uh, depending definitely. on the industry? No, no, that's definitely true. Um, what I find though, is that let's rather say you get two types of different people and how far they get along in that journey depends on, on who that person is. So okay. I've interviewed over the years, these incredible dynamic people. And then with the startup and they're so passionate about the idea. And this actually happened recently. Um, I met a guy who had been in the mag a few years ago. He's, he's, he's got a totally different business now. The first one didn't work, but the second one, or it might even be the third one now is really smart. Um, the okay. work he's doing with clients is, is very impressive. Can and you I mention think he just needed name? to evolve. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So sure. it's, it's Darren Lang. Um, he and his partner had an Excel business. But, um, you know, that has kind of evolved now into he's built a platform that... Excel? What do you mean Excel? Like Excel sheet? What do you mean Excel? Yeah, teaching people how to use Excel properly in oh, companies. Okay. Okay. So I actually tried to get hold of them after that. And I think by then the business wasn't happening anymore because I needed to learn Excel <laughs> and I was terrible at it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, but, um, but they really, yeah, what he's got now is, a, is an online platform for courses. Mm -hmm. So um, he's working with a number of different companies and entrepreneurs to get their content out as courses okay. and but be, behind that is this incredible platform for social learning and networking and people on the courses being able to interact with each other and his presentations are really impressive and he's learned a huge amount about the sales funnel and how to get people onto these courses anyway the reason i'm giving you this is it's it, it was a very different experience with him to a few years ago and I think it's a, it's a kind of personality where you're not always going to get your first startup right. You mm. keep evolving and you keep growing. And to become a mid-sized business or a large organization, that same thing has to happen. You have to have a growth mindset. You have to be willing to accept that you don't know everything. Mm. You have to keep going, okay, what don't I know right now? Where are my gaps? What do I have to upskill? What do I have to learn? And those individuals are the ones that can go all the way through. If you can't do that, you're going to stall. And interestingly, what goes hand in hand with that is a degree of authenticity and transparency of people. And, you know, if I can, I can use examples, Brian Altridge of Rocco Mamas falls yes. into this category, Albi Haldenhaus of USN, where they've had really big failures, mm. but they've learned from them as well. Mm. And they're willing to talk about them and they're open about them and they're not trying to hide them. And because of that, they can grow and build these incredible 
organizations. Now, I, I, I remember I was reading, um, I, I don't actually remember if it was from Alan Reyes or from uh, Pablo Fertitis. And he mentioned something that... They would die if they hear you comparing the two of them together. <laughs> Good. That, we want to see a fight. So if you guys are like, let's see a fight. Let's settle the score. <laughs> well, look, I, I respect I, re, I met, uh, I, I respect both of them very, very much. No, uh, they're incredible. But and, definitely, um, I would say... Com- competitively <laughs> but which is good that, that, that's what the, that's what make make the industry interesting so I, mm-hmm. I forgot which one said it but they they basically said that in america the average entrepreneurs they they fail and they try they fail and they try it's alon alon re-entry rate yeah on, on the average i think he said about three times or something and yeah. in south africa it was just over once yeah. So it just, it just, so we try, we fail, we leave, then, we get a job again. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. agree with that? Have you, have you noticed that? Yes, I have. Mm. Um, interestingly, again, a lot of startup guys I've met the next time I meet them, they're working at a corporate. So yes, I do think that happens. How does it make um, you feel when you see that? Eh? I, you know what? I think everyone has their own path and that's okay. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm a, I'm a freelancer. I, I work for myself. I love it. I don't believe I have the risk appetite to build a large organization. And I also don't particularly like managing people, which mm. is a key component of building mm. a large business. So I think, um, you know, different, different strokes for different folks, I guess. And, so I think and, some people do start a business and realize it's not for them. However, one of the big things we have in this country is that in general, we're a bit scared of entrepreneurship. And that has to change because I think people who are at heart entrepreneurs and stuck in corporate, that's mm-hmm. tragic. Mm-hmm. And I also, we know, I mean, not I think, we know that SMEs yeah. are the only way to actively grow an economy, which means more people need to be building mm. businesses. Mm. And one of the biggest problems in this country is that even with, um, you know, enterprise supply development, even with, government mm-hmm. mandates that you have to use small businesses suppliers yep. actually corporates aren't great to small businesses over and over and again you know small business can't handle 60 to 90 days it's yes impossible so, but you know what so the there's, funny a, th- there's mm. a huge support lacking for SMEs. i i i i agree with you 100 i believe the the in the um in the news again um it's just this is being brought up now i read it somewhere and i actually believe it's very very true people that run these uh, these um organizations in, in government positions i don't think that many of them have been business owners themselves so how no. are you supposed to understand what they go through before you set out these t's and c's 100 percent. also um it's one of the reasons so i think alan actually sits on a board like this where it's one of the reasons why you need kind of I don't know what you would call it, groups, boards, foundations to really give recommendations. Yeah, people that have been there before. That's it, been there and done it. Hmm. But also, you know, part of it is there needs to kind of be a systemic change in the way we think about failure because the support has to be there, absolutely. Hmm. And one of the things that we were always very careful about an entrepreneur was kind of moaning too much about red tape and government because it's there. It's, it, you can't change it, right? Yeah. It is it's like it is. you're going to get stuck and in traffic problem. if you work in Joburg. It's one of those That's things. That's it. It's one of those things. And it is a problem and it does have to change. And I do think it's the reason why people do go back to corporate or don't start businesses in the first place at all. But another problem is we're, we're really scared of failure and we, we, we 
we don't look at it as a badge of honor. We look at it as a, you know, like a kind of black mark against our name. And that is very different to the U.S. Yes, I was just about to say US, that. Yeah, mm. that's, failure is like, it's celebrated. I've learned mm-hmm. from it. Hear my great story. And if I think about the interviews I've had that were great versus the interviews I've had that weren't, mm-hmm. a lot of it comes down to how willing the person I was interviewing was to talk about their failures and where they got it wrong and where they didn't necessarily understand something or see it coming. The guys are trying to pretend that they know everything. They've never failed. It's a super boring story because it's not real. Wow. So um, you had people also, that actually pass interviewees that just pretend they were. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. And I'd ask the same question in 50 different ways and eventually get something. But absolutely, like some people just can't do that. And, and the interesting thing is, like I mentioned earlier, the top guys, the guys that have done really well tend to be very good about, you know, airing their, I don't want to call it dirty laundry because I think that's also giving it the wrong, the wrong impression. <laughs> mm. They're just, they're, they're transparent and they're open and they're willing to talk about it. And but as a, as the a, more we can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as a, as a writer or somebody interviewing them, don't you just at, at some point to say call BS and say, please, just stop pretending. So I think if you're a hardcore um, news journalist, you have to do that. Mm. I was very specifically, so, so I'm not a naturally um, antagonistic person, I suppose. No, you're not. You're very sweet and kind. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not, just not naturally that way. God, yeah. But, um, but also I felt that as entrepreneur, we, because remember that was my brand for 10 years yes. um, and I was very much, you know, out in the world. Yes. My name and the entrepreneur brand were completely interlinked. Mm-hmm. And I felt that we had a very important role to play in educating entrepreneurs and giving them the tools they needed mm-hmm. um, to really improve and build their businesses and, and, and the inspiration they needed to start their businesses And part of that to me was also being very nurturing of the entrepreneurs that we put in our publication. So I tried to give everyone an opportunity. I was always obviously limited by, by number of pages, but I mean, towards the end, I think where we maybe used to feature six people per mag, I was getting 15 in per mag. Mm -hmm. And we always needed big headline guys because that's what reality that's what sells. That's what people would buy the magazine. But I really tried to give everyone an opportunity to feature in the pages. You know, this is the real South African business landscape. These are the real South African entrepreneurs. And if I was too hard hitting in those interviews, I needed to be quite nurturing. Um, I think there wouldn't have been that trust. You know, I think I built a lot of trust just in the community of people that were willing to speak to me. Mm. And for an outlier who's not going to be authentic, well, that's their problem. They're not going mm. to get a great story out of it. They're going to get m- much less space in the magazine. That's the reality. You're kind of creating your own, you know, reality here by not being open and honest with me. Okay. So I kind of, I, I looked at it like that and I left it like that. And someone who was really open and just gave me incredible content would get four or five pages mm. versus, you know, half a column. Yeah. So, that's the way I approached it. And I didn't want to tarnish the reputation as the reputation I'd built up of you can talk to me, you can trust me. Mm. 
for a few outliers because mm. really it's their problem at the end yeah. of the day if that's the way they are in an interview that's the way they are in their business it's their, it really it's their problem mm. so so i mean out of all the people that you've interviewed do you prefer interviewing startups or the the people that's that's with turnover 100 100 million i mean do you have a preference oh, but, and why no bit of everything here i found there are some startup interviews that I can remember that I absolutely loved. Just can love. you mention a few? Yeah, the Kula guys are incredible. Kula. Um, so they're Kula. It's, it's a it's a app that joins farmers with stores, so that small farmers who wouldn't be able to get kind of a big contract because they don't produce enough can, because it's almost like crowdsourcing. Do they still so, exist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've been getting a lot of um, funding. And I think oh, wow. they even won the F&B App of the Year Award. How do, how do you spell it? K or C? K-H-U-L-A. Uh-huh. And, I mean, geez, I first spoke to them when they had a little business called Money Tree, which didn't work out in Varsity. Cute name, Money Tree. Next time I chatted to them, <laughs> yeah. And they were trying to teach, you know, Varsity kids a bit about financials and the idea is good. The idea is good. Absolutely. They couldn't really monetize it, mm. although they did monetize it enough to kind of launch cooler. Mm. Um, they want to make a real change in the world. They're still, aren't they young? I don't even think they're 25 yet. Wow. But funny. And, you know, there's nothing cooler than hearing a story about two kids in a little. I think it was a little coarser and they're racing around <laughs> with the aircon cranked up so high that it's the middle of summer and they're wearing beanies and hoodies because they're delivering vegetables and they have to keep them fresh because oh, they wow. were driving to the farms and getting them to their customers. And okay. yeah. So, you know, th those stories are awesome. And when they're still in the startup phase, they're very real and at the tip of their fingers. Whereas by the time you're talking to someone who's really built an established business, you're then talking about their growth challenges. Um, you know, they'll have a few memories of the startup years. So Albie Haldenhays absolutely remembers using those like hand cranked, it was called a Sputnik washing machine to mix his early product yeah. um, out of his apartment in Pretoria. But, but much more we were talking about his growth challenges because that was the phase of his mm. business then. So yeah, this you know. So would you would you an amazing person? Would you compare? Because I just had a thought that comes to mind now, like from from startup to growing. So would you say startup will kind of be like a child? If you ask a child, they'll be so open. They have no filter. They will just tell you everything. Whereas when you become an adult, you have different problems and you have different concerns. Your way of thinking might have slowed down and you don't remember much of your childhood 100%. Would you compare something like that? Um, yes, in some ways, in an ideal world. But I think a lot of startups are, they, you know, they'll, they'll maybe share their funny stories, but they're more careful about talking too much about their failures and where they got it wrong. The mm. bigger guys will do that because now they've had the success mm. and they're willing to share it. I think the smaller guys are still a bit dearer in the headlight, mm. maybe not quite as open. Um, I think you tend to hear those kinds of stories when they're a bit further along. Mm. So Alan Ray's story about lying next to his child's crib and crying. Yes. But you couldn't pay he for it. Yeah. That's it. I don't think he was sharing that story with anyone in that week. You know? yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely he was sharing not. it a few years later. No, you're right. Because I've heard that story. I've, I've heard him share that a, a few times. And it's, yeah. it's very, very touching because it just goes to show that 
somebody that's in business for 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 so long he also had humble beginnings absolutely absolutely mm. and a lot of these guys did i mean it's you know they so here's what i didn't realize because i studied history so i i find the world very very interesting i love i love history i love socioeconomics i love politics like i, I just find the world interesting I had zero interest in business, mm -hmm. like none. It, it was never even in my kind of frame of reference. Then I went and I wrote about trucks for three years. And yeah. the reason why I left there was because I realized the people I was surrounded by were all old hat transport journos. And if I stayed there, that's what I would become. And I didn't want to be that. I, I had enjoyed writing. I would enjoyed learning magazines, but I didn't want to be a transport journalist. Mm. And a friend of mine sent um, the job spec for entrepreneur and I was wildly unqualified for what they were looking for. But when I interviewed, they really liked me and they gave me a chance. And within, I mean, weeks, possibly months, but very, very quickly, I realized how incredible entrepreneurs are. And that then got me very interested in business because I wanted to understand what they were so passionate about. And it, it's almost like everything changed for me at that point because from being very interested in the world, I now realize that business is what makes the world tick Absolutely. because money is what makes the world tick. Mm. And these are the individuals driving that. And I think in everything you do and, and if you're going to write and be successful at anything, it starts with being interested. So I can tell you now, poor writers tend to be poor writers because they're not actually interested in what they're writing about. Mm. So it's all fine and well to say, well, I want to write well and I want to be a writer. But if you're not deeply interested in the subject matter, it's never going to be great. And the biggest trick that anyone can learn is that you can be deeply interested in anything if you want to be. Absolutely. It I remember Seth, Seth Godin said this once before you can become interesting start to start by being interested there we go exactly that's it and honestly anything's interesting to pretend it's not is just i think limiting yourself mm. limiting your own worldview mm, absolutely no. yeah and to 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 wrap up i mean if there are any uh people out there that that is also want to become writers or want to interview people or want to even start their podcast and they want to know how do i are there any golden rules that you've had about do's and don'ts about interviewing people? Yes, so I think I mentioned some of them earlier. The first is um, don't be scared to ask add-on questions. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. really, I, I, I see that too often. Um, the, the interviewee is almost controlling the interview. Don't do that. Okay. You know? Okay. And I think that leads on to be interested because if you're genuinely interested, you're going to ask more questions because you're going to want to know, oh, that's interesting. How Tell did that more. happen? Mm, mm, mm. Tell me more. Exactly. Okay. okay. So that I think is, is critical. Um, the next thing is, and I don't think people do this enough, is read, 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 listen, listen, listen. You're never going to be a good writer if you don't read mm. ferociously, like mm. literally. I, I can tell you personally, and I, I recently designed a business writer's course. Yeah. I suck at grammar rules. Okay. That makes I two of us. Yeah, I was, but, but, but my grammar doesn't suck. Okay. I don't understand the rules. Okay. So explain to me a past participle, blah, blah, I blah, don't blah, and I, I start glazing over and I have since high school, but my writing is grammatically flawless. 
And mm. that is from years and years and years of reading. Mm. So I just know how a sentence should sound and look and feel without understanding the background rules, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, no, I obviously no. do understand it, but I don't have the, the technical. And it's, the reason is because I wasn't interested in high school. I hate it. <laughs> so that goes well, there you go. Well, interest. there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you've got to read. And if you want to do podcasts, you've got to listen to a million podcasts. Absolutely. That, you know, those are the things. Just practice, 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 practice. Yeah. Great. Hold rule of everything. Mm. Great. And Nadine, if people want to get hold of you or ask you for advice, where is the best place for them to get hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Nadine von Maltke Todd. Okay, so, so let me just Nadine. spell it. Let me just spell it for people. It's yeah. V O N M O L T K E dash Todd T O There we go. Nadine von Maltke Todd. Yeah. Awesome, Nadine. So thank you so much for your time and listeners. Thanks if you enjoyed, please uh, share it with as many people as you can. Thanks again, Nadine. Thanks, Charles. If you would like to connect with Charles, get in touch with him on LinkedIn, Charles Schwinn, or follow him on Instagram, Flying Kite Today. Till next time.